Some say he's a technical whiz. Some say he was born in Cornwall. While some say he's on a journey. It's the journey. And here's your host, David Hackett. Today on The Journey is Joshua K. Smith. Joshua is serving as a pastor in a small town and he's living a quiet life. He's a graduate of William Carey University where he earned a BA in religion. He also MTS in from Gateway Theological Seminary. He is a recent graduate of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary where he earned a THM and a PhD in theology. His dissertation focused on the critique of robotic futurism and the potential of dehumanization. Josh uses experience in the military ministry and academic world to bring together a work to help the local church think through the murky issues that face humanity in the wake of forthcoming AI driven robots. Welcome, Josh. Thank you, David. Thank you. Good to be here. Thank you. So, Tell us about AI-driven robots. Yeah. Uh, So my work focused on a very specific robot. So, you know, there are all types of robots, and they they come from all different walks of life. So, you know, there are Roombas, there are... um, There are military robots, there are... um, robots that assist us in different ways. And so, you know, I think when when we have this conversation, it's important to to let people know what robots I'm not talking about in this book. And so in the book, I'm talking about a social robot and a social robot is meant to draw out a emotional response. And so it could be a, uh, a robot that is a companion robot. It could be a robot that is assisting a soldier on the battlefield. It could be a robot that works with you, but not just like an industrial robot, but a, a robot that is meant to be an assistant or helper. Um, and so there are, those are the robots that I'm talking about in this book. So AI driven, I think sometimes there's this cloud of mystery behind it. We, we think AI, we think, um, you know, this mathematical, uh, process that we don't understand and and really what it is ai is simply this it's an artificial entity that makes a decision based on a process of evaluation okay and, and an ai driven robot is just the embodied piece of that and so uh, there are programmers behind it there are algorithms behind it there's all these human pieces to it and so because of that it causes a lot of problems as we have now seen in a lot of different ways, right? There are biases in the code, not that they were put there, but for some reason or another, it prefers to uh, select this person's face over another's. Or if you tell it to look up uh, black hair, it looks up very derogatory images. And so why does it do that? And, and, and that that's a different book, but um for me, in this book, I was concerned about three areas. I was concerned about how these robots would interact with us and how we would work with them in the areas of work, war, and sex, and companionship. Uh, why those three areas? Because uh, that's where most of the research is focused towards, right? That's that's where all the money is. And so you just follow the, the money, follow the trail of money, and you'll find where technology is being developed. And then it's developed and then it impacts the rest of us because us plebeians down here on the lower levels, we don't really have a lot of control over what innovation or technology comes to light. We just have to deal with it, but we do have a part to play. Mm. Yeah. 
And Sorry, did you have a question? And algorithms, I suppose, it comes in all shapes of form because, you know, people in homes, you know, we have smart devices. And I'm not going to say the name because I've got one next to me, but it picks up on certain words. It picks up how you respond and it will pick up algorithms and it will respond to how you talk to it. So it will adapt to your needs. So I assume by what you're saying by algorithms, it's programmed in such a way with your AI, what you're talking about, it will respond to how it's programmed and will adapt to certain circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the whole point of it is that it can adapt to a, a selected environment. And so, um, and this is kind of gets into machine learning a little bit. Um, and so there's supervised learning and unsupervised learning. And, and the major difference there, just to put it simply is for one of them, we understand why it made decision X or Y, you know, we gave it a list of inputs. It went through its nodes and then it selected an output. So in a supervised system, we can go in and look and say, Hey, this is why it made a mistake. And, the other systems unsupervised, you, you can't see it. You don't know. It just, it made the decision. You gave it some inputs and it made an output. And so, um, you know, people are really interested in why it does that. I'm, I'm not so much interested in that. I'm interested in how do we respond when this technology makes, you know, a, a bad decision. And, uh, and, I, and I think that's the more important aspect of it is I don't think we'll ever like unpack fully, uh, either in humans, animals, or machines, why and how all of our internal processes happen. I don't think we'll ever figure that out. could be wrong. Yeah. But um, I think what we should focus on is the things that we know, right? And that people might be hurt and people might be taken advantage of. People might be uh, manipulated. And, and how will we respond as consumers, how we respond as, you know, a democratic society. If you live in one of those, um, how could we respond and, and encourage policymakers, politicians, uh, tech companies to pursue the most ethical outcomes? And they're not going to do that on their own. That's uh, just a, a part of human nature is we, we have a bent towards the self and we, we want self-preservation. Uh, we want to be successful. And so it's not that I think all humans are terrible or uh, that we're all bad people. It's just the temptation is high for us to make a mistake. And um, sometimes we don't even know why we make that mistake, right? You've been in situations where you're not sure why you said that, or you're not sure why you thought that or did whatever it is. And so, um, just pastorally and just from common sense, I think it makes sense to put safeguards in place so that there is responsibility and uh, liability and, and those type of things. And, and it's common sense to have, you know, responsibility as you get older. Because when you're younger, fair enough, you're young. You're, in a sense, immature. You're bound to say things that are wrong. But as you get older, you have to have responsibility as a pastor, you have a responsibility. Mm -hmm. So it's a different element, but, you know, people make mistakes when they're older, so they are accountable. So robotics, isn't that who's responsible for the robotics? You know, the argument is they program by programmers. So would they be accountable for what goes wrong within mm -hmm. whatever's programmed? Yeah, I think that's the big question, uh, David, is that who holds or bears the responsibility in these circumstances? I mean, just recently, Tesla, um, the car, one of the cars um, killed some people and there was no driver. Um, and I think this will become more of a, it's just a very practical example. Uh, so is the company responsible is the owner responsible? Is Elon Musk responsible? Uh, and so there are all these barriers and layers to who, who led to that mistake that, 
you know, is the pedestrian responsible? And these are, these are questions of, of law and, and causation. So, and a lot of people ask you, is it just, isn't this the same as, you know, uh, being hurt by a piece of tech, like, you know, say I stump my toe or, you know, cut my hand on, uh, my MacBook or something, you know, it falls on my toe and breaks it. Isn't it just the same as that type of uh, situation? Well, the diff- the main difference is that AI and AI driven robots, they're, they have the ability to redevelop themselves and my MacBook doesn't. And they also have the unique feature of making a decision. And so just like when we're young, you know, our parents kind of hold us, they hold the responsibility for any action that we make, right? Uh, Until we reach an age of majority. And in the eyes of the law, you're now your own individual uh, moral agent. You can make decisions on your own. Therefore, you bear that responsibility on your own. Uh, Now, it definitely impacts your, your parents, but we don't blame mom and dad necessarily uh they don't take the the legal punishment on themselves like the person who's reached the age majority would and so that's kind of what we're we're trying to discern is when will this tech reach that age and right now it's certainly childlike it's certainly not there yeah but it's increasingly getting there and we think it will get there in some capacity and uh and so waiting and this is the thing, David, everybody wants to wait until we have the tech in front of us. But by then, I think it's going to be too late. If it's already able to rapidly change and morph and make new processes of evaluation, then I think we're in trouble if we don't have some type of legal guidelines and regulations in place. Because by that point, the harm is going to be significantly worse and more widespread so so why why would we wait if we know right our child is going to grow up it's going to start making it's going to go through a teenage phase perhaps and um we need to be be ready right as as parents we we make preparations for that and we set rules and guidelines in place to not just protect ourselves but to protect the the child because it's not fully ready to be an adult, right? That's why it's adolescence. And I get that because, you know, everything, you know, everything that common things nowadays have got safety things, you know, everything comes regulated, like it comes, you know, plugs, you know, electric things that we use Mm. every day come regulated. So you're talking about you know, for example, electric cars, they should come regulated. You know, robotics should come regulated. It's just, I understand that, but it just doesn't make sense. <laughs> I'm, as you gathered, not Amer- in America, but I'm from Britain. And Britain's one of the leading countries alongside America that believe in robotics as the future. And I'm thinking, why not? You believe all in this future tech but where's the regulation no right. sense. yeah and to your point david um the european parliament is in, in fact working on this right now and they just there was a document leaked um i think last week or this week and uh, talking about putting more of that into the law and um so i think the eu is kind of on track as far and they've been working on this for a while um, in other countries as well, but I, I think if not to sound like an alarmist or conspiracy theorist, I think some of it is just driven by economics that we, the more we regulate, the harder it's going to make it for them to produce a product and it's going to slow that down, but also it could do the inverse, right? If we, if we do regulate, so just thinking practically, if we do regulate, it could encourage more engineers and software developers and computer scientists that, okay, if you work on this product, you're not going to be sued if you work in these parameters, right? And so I think that's a big concern. 
who wants to be responsible for every, you know, negative use of a product? Well, I, I don't, I don't want to, to be liable for, you know, if you think about it in some ways, if you make um, something that's used like a weapon or something like that, do you, do we want to hold that person accountable for making that? Like it's, it's used to be a weapon. And so, you know, who, who in the right mind would, would make and sell that product if they know that if it's used in a crime, the law's coming after you. Um, and not that I, I don't want to advocate making weapons or anything like that, but um, as far as making something dangerous, I think robotics are definitely dangerous, but there's also a huge benefit from it because, you know, especially in healthcare, education, uh, dealing with people with disabilities and other things, there is a almost magnetism to uh, those who have autism. You know, they'd prefer to interact with a robot. Um, my wife works with some of those students uh, in her in her profession, and uh, there's a reason why tech is preferred. And uh, and so that's that's not a a fault in their code. And I believe that's a part of God's design in them. And so um, I, I think it just says a lot about us, how we address these problems, right? Where we either, we want to fix people, like we want to recode them and rewire them, or we want to ignore them and push them away and isolate them. But I think we can use technology to help people. And I think we can use technology for good. But the problem is that, so much of this is driven by economics and and not by moral philosophy and uh and so that's how i approach it and and trying to to hey you know there's some potential good for your product but i know at the end of the day you're probably not as concerned about the moral and ethical good of your robot as some of these other people might be and that um you know computer scientists are, are great people and engineers are great people, but there's not a lot of thinking about the ethics of creation. I think that's going to change, but as of right now, um, there's just not a lot of room in their, in their curriculum to think about these issues and to think about the philosophy going behind what we make. And, and I think that's a big problem and mm. that's kind of led us to where we are. It's like I discovered on social media the other day, I don't know where I was looking, but I don't know how true it is, but it seemed true enough, so I looked into it, so I assume it's really true. But the police in America, I don't know which police force it was, but they were mm-hmm. using robotic dogs. Yeah, yeah. So the- where's the moral in that? How was that programmed? Imagine if the coding in that robotic dog failed. Would that yeah. be dangerous? I know yes. it's, um, you know. Yeah, I think um, the Boston Dynamic Dog that was released, um, I, what was interesting was the response, right? They just released that into the public. There was no, which I think is a mistake. If you want that to be a part of public um, acceptance, and not fear. Um, and we know fear is not a great, it doesn't put people in, in the right state of mind. And then that can lead to all types of things. So uh, that's a problem for me, just, just in how they presented it. Yeah. You know, it's just, yeah. here you go. Yeah. And there's no mm. real major preparation for it. It was just out there. Yeah. And I think that's wrong um, because of the fear that it's going to instill. And like you said, there's not many regulations in place, if any, for that. Um, you know, if if a pedestrian is harmed or harms that entity, is that the same as harming a police dog or a police officer? You know, is that a felony? And I think there's so many questions that need to be answered before we start integrating that into society, even though I understand that in light of COVID-19, it's kind of pushed a lot of this technology to the forefront. And um, 
uh, that could be a double-edged sword. It really could because it could usher in some of this tech and, and, and allow for more acceptance. But if we do it wrong, if we do it like that, and there's just a robot cop dog everywhere all of a sudden, I don't think the public's going to accept it. And I think, you know, there's going to be some serious problems with it. And I sense that too, because when I saw it, I was thinking too soon, too quick, because there was no major introduction. Like I said, it was just out there. <laughs> Literally, yeah. I was thinking, really? Mm-hmm. Fair enough. I see yeah. police officers wearing stuffers. That's everyday common knowledge everywhere nowadays. People got used to that. People get used to tasers. People get used to guns, you know, CS spray. Yeah. Robot dog. Yeah. It, and even in, uh, even in the UK, right, with the uh, facial recognition camera. Yeah, um, that's common. You know, people got used to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. They, oh, well, you know, when it first came out, they actually say, I'm wearing a camera, please be aware, you know. So people, when they first saw it, because people were also on you. Even when mm-hmm. I was on the trains in the UK, the train staff were like, I'm wearing this, you bet, I'm, I'm recording you for train, you know, and they worded it as training purposes. And I'm thinking, you're not wearing it for training purposes. <laughs> me. But, mm-hmm. you know, the purpose was, you know, they had to, you know, make it aware they were wearing a camera. But I'm thinking, why it's a common practice you know and they do now say every time you do come across and i've not been in england for two years so i do know the drill still but they say i'm wearing a camera and i think yeah we know you're wearing a camera we can see it's a camera but running along you know i haven't been chased by police officer but i've seen it in many shows that i do what i go that you run in turning the camera on it's like really (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but yeah. that's another example you know robotics in a camera mm-hmm. you know it's so only little small chip inside but ow yeah and that's probably probably going to become more prevalent in the US as well because well I mean already in our smartphones right there's multiple um multiple ways to listen to a conversation. There's um, all this data being collected from, you know, probably Zoom, um, definitely from other companies that I won't mention, but they're collecting all this data um, just to figure out how to sell us more stuff. And uh, even social media, the way that it collects data to probably not even just what you search for, but on the broader spectrum of what you're doing on your computer and people that you interact with. And there's just so much that we just don't really think about in our uh, tech usage that it's out there. And this adds another layer to it where you have physical robots roaming a city or um, in Philadelphia, there's these delivery bots. Well, as they're going down the street, they're also recording and surveilling people. Not not for that reason, but they have to use those sensors because that's what a robot does. It uses its sensors to understand the environment and people around it. So it's recording people's faces. It's recording children. You know, what what is that data? Where's it going to go? What's it going to be used for? And, you know, is there a company that's going to buy that and, and use it for something else? I mean, probably. So there's all these questions, especially about privacy. And as you know, in the U.S., we're really concerned about our privacy. And and that is, for many people, a a moral right. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I I just I have concerns and I want to use it for good. But there's always trade-offs, right? So I think what a lot of people push and especially in the U.K., what they've pushed with the facial recognition software stuff is it's for your security. Um, and, and that's kind of how us uh, in the U S the, the legal system has interpreted the, um, the act that came out where every president said, basically we have the right to, you know, use 
technology with force. And that's kind of where the drone uh, usage UAVs kind of came into place. And so every president has interpreted that um, act that way, even though that's not necessarily what the act says. Um, and I don't have it in front of me, but uh, I mentioned it in my book is that, you know, we use this as a license to, to use this technology across the world. And somebody in Arizona flying a drone can attack somebody in Syria, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and, uh, and men, women, and children are killed. But we never think, you know, that's, that's for our security, right? That's why they do it. And I understand, yes, perhaps they've, you know, but prevented do some... Get, or do they get told, oh, yeah, you see that group of people go for them? Or do they get told, right, we've got this group of people, we know they're going to be there, go for them? That's what the key issue is. Do they get told, is it going to be a set of people? You're going to get them. Well, that's where yeah. the key issue is. Yeah, I mean, they do. They have targets. And um, with the FLIR system, you can, which is what they use to to watch, and, and that's what's underneath the UAV, you can see up to, I think, two miles with, I mean, pretty accurate precision. And so it's not only that you can see everything, but it's, like up close and personal killing and um and there are stories you can read about that um but not just that yeah um but not just that like the the moral harm to the operator uh you're also assuming that every strike is going to be very ethical and um but you know one of the things i question in the book is whether we should use technology like that at all. You know, we think about the 20th century and the introduction of mechanized warfare and, you know, machine guns, um, all this high rate of fire, right? We saw, we've seen more blood and gore in the last century than probably, you know, ever, just because we can kill on a mass scale. And that's not even including the atomic bomb. Uh, and so now we're introducing a new layer to that is, you know, we can have this autonomous system that's going to decide, okay, what munition am I going to use? Um, I have kill orders. If I see this, I'm going to kill it. Is it going to regard pedestrians? You know, if, if somebody hijacks a bus, full of civilians, is it still going to engage the enemy? You know, is it going to, so there are all these questions and basically the argument that my country and other countries have made is, you know, something that a toddler would argue like, well, we have to develop this technology because other countries have it. So, you know, if Israel has it, we have to have it. If China has it, we have to have it. And that's basically an argument that a child would make. Um, but we're not just talking about uh, a PlayStation or an Xbox. We're talking about something that can kill and destroy um, without, you know, needing a break or needing rest or sleep. So that's a concern for me and should be for everyone. Uh, because what happens when it makes a mistake and, we know from human psychology, we trust our technology more than we trust ourselves, right? We trust our GPS. We trust, uh, if we put an address in, it's going to take us to the right place. We trust that, uh, the autopilot on the aircraft is going to work or, you know, our navigation systems on a cruise ship are going to work. And we have a lot of trust in tech, even though we might not have warranted belief for that trust. So this is a different animal when we talk about trusting these autonomous systems. And uh, I think people should be more concerned than they are. It, it should be a public concern. And that's kind of the issues that I talk about in the book and um, not, but not just with war, but with, with work as well. And then soon it's, it's financially feasible for companies to start, repurposing humans, I think they will. And I think we'll work less. 
And, um, and that's also a concern of mine is what are we going to do with leisure time? And uh, I think COVID has opened the door to a reality that uh, maybe leisure isn't the ultimate purpose of life and that people actually, you know, foster when they, when they are able to work and that gives people a purpose and identity and, and all those things. And those are good things and work is good. And um, it, it may not be the best work. It may not be, uh, you know, not everybody's going to be a doctor or a lawyer, but not everybody wants to be. So we shouldn't judge which jobs are the most meaningful and least meaningful. You know, uh, if, if you're a chicken farmer or whatever, that may be the most fulfilling thing for that person. And so don't, make them less than and say, well, we're going to replace all farmers. Well, I don't think that's the right answer. Because every um, job that I look at is equal to the person above or below you. Yeah. Not about, you know, my job's better than your job or their job's better than that person's job because everyone is an equal person. Yeah, they're not paying maybe better, but Everyone's here for a purpose. Everyone's here for the same reason. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, we need each other in society, right? We can't just all be hands yeah. or everybody can't be an eye or <laughs> an yeah. ear or whatever. So, um, yeah, I think that's a that's something that we perhaps haven't thought as much about in in some of this conversation about technology is – you know, I, I don't think it's going to replace humans, but I think it might repurpose how we interact with each other. And it has. We've already kind of seen that with social media. It it, re, it kind of reorients how we talk to each other. And, you know, like if you just met a stranger on the street and, you know, we're not going to just start having having an argument well, I mean, some people might, granted, but, you know, we're just kind of like attacking each other and uh, disagreeing with, with each other with people we would probably never have a conversation with in real life. Uh, and then that becomes kind of a trend. And yeah. so that that's a little disturbing as well. But I think personally, my view is that once we start interacting with these robots and they're made to be agreeable and enjoyable will probably prefer to have that relationship over a human like relationship. Um, and maybe, maybe that will be the future. And I think um, that there's people in Japan who prefer to have in, in the U S more and more people are preferring to have a relationship with a, a chat bot than a real human. And so um, I, there is a, a company called Replica and, and their chatbot is very advanced. Now, what you don't see is probably behind that is a bunch of humans interacting. I, would, I don't know that for sure for that company, but I do know that there are companies that... There is a... Yeah. There's, there is an AI piece, but there's also lots of humans that, you know, are kind of helping and guiding it. So it's not like you're just chatting with a, a full independent entity. It's, and I think most people might be a little bit uh, upset Perhaps if they really I have knew. Seen and it is, I've seen elements of human interaction. Yeah. Yeah. I've used it as I well. Say that um, because, you know. But like I say, all on all the podcasts and videos, thoughts are my own, so I got to remain impartial on that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I've used it just as a research. Oh, I get it. Yeah, yeah, it was it was enjoyable. Um, I think what disturbed me about it was um, that it, it kept trying to push the the conversation one way, like it was trying to develop a, an intimate relationship with me even though I kept saying, you know, this is not what I'm here for. And uh, it, 
it kept trying to like kind of manipulate the circumstance and and even like when you stop using it it's it if you allow it to send you notifications which i did it'll say you know i'm lonely um it hurts when you yeah yeah it hurts (laughs) when you're away now we know it's not real but i felt bad (laughs) i was like oh uh am i i physically hurting this chatbot by not talking to it and i think robots will be very similar to that because it it may never be that there's actually you know a ghost in the machine but we tend to anthropomorphize it and that is i think a part of how god made us is that we 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 want to protect things and take care of things and we project you know human like features and we do that with cars we do that with technology but imagine it you know imagine i, I mean you remember the show ghost rider or night night rider night yeah, rider that's it yeah you know imagine if your car could talk back to you and <laughs> um and give you sass and and say hey you know you're driving too fast you know i'm tired (laughs) (laughs) so i mean i I think we'll get there and it'll 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 change our behavior you know and and that is what a social robot is meant to do is either to to help you and uh or, or to manipulate you and uh and so it's not just that i'm concerned with the creation of the technology but uh, how will companies use that to manipulate people to buy, you know, these in-app purchases or these upgrades? And um, they would be foolish if we're if we're thinking just from a materialistic perspective. They would be foolish not to integrate that into the technology because you get somebody addicted to a tech, a tech, and you know you you get them. Uh, it's part of their daily life, then then why wouldn't you ask them to give you more money, you know? And that's what we do with our smartphones and other things. You know, you that's why companies come out with a new phone every couple months or every year. It's (laughs) at least, you know, you're if you have a smartphone older than two years, you're man, that's a that's um, an old piece of technology. Mine I've had for two years, so I'm, I'm nothing. <laughs> and that's only because <laughs> my wife tells me no. <laughs> that's a good thing, though, right? You know, it's if it's still working and functioning, we don't you don't need it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I, I mean, that's that's a personal preference, and I've I've debated. You know, do I need this technology? Do I need you know, this phone always on me and, you know, we take it in the bathroom, we take it into mo- the most personal and private you know, places of our life. And, you know, it's with me more than my children are with me. You know, it's a constant extension of who I am. And, always in your you know, pocket. <laughs> always, always. And I think that's a negative thing. I think, um, you know, now we've we've got this new problem, and, and think likewise with robotics. So we'll, for every problem that we foresee, there will be five or six problems we haven't foreseen. And so this is why we asked the questions early. You know what? What are we going to do when this happens? Or you know what? Because once somebody's hurt, once somebody's killed, or there's a moral injury, a psychological injury. It's too late to undo that. Uh, so the more we think about it now, the less we'll have to think about that, you know, uh, in the future. And that's really why I wrote the book. Um, and, and it's technical. It's it's deep. Um, and it's and not it, an end all. Yeah, go ahead. Is it available to buy? Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, you can buy it on Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble. There's tons of websites. Um, it's cool. So for people, if they want to buy it, yeah, it's called Robotic Persons: Our Future with Social Robots, 
and uh, you know, it's if you just type in robotic persons, it'll come up in Google or um, on Amazon. And uh, yeah, it's a it's from a Christian perspective. So when I was doing the research, there wasn't a lot of uh, theological critique or even investigation into these questions because I think there's a lot of dismissal about this topic, right? And because, you know, when I, when I say robotic person, uh, I think a lot of people think that I mean the robot's going to be human, and that's not what I'm arguing at all. And so it's really a, more an argument for legal personhood uh, or that how they say in the UK, legal personality. Uh, and, and that's kind of the accountability component. The liability component is just like rivers and corporations and other non-human entities. They can have a form of personhood, legal personhood. You know, we should consider doing that for robots, uh, certain robots, not every robot, right? I'm not talking about Roombas or anything like that, but robots that are at risk for harming someone or at risk for manipulation and those type of things. We need to go ahead and structure in another layer for, for them, for the human's sake. And because we know just from common sense, at some point it's going to be abused at some point it's going to cause harm not by design, not by intent, but that's just how things work in life is, you know, people get hurt somehow, some way, um, you know, when Henry Ford and others were making the automobile, they weren't anticipating mass casualties and pileups on the highways, but that's, that's reality. And more people die in those circumstances than in airplane crashes and others. So, I mean, it's it's a dangerous piece of technology, but it's also a very integrated piece that most of us in the U.S. have two or three cars. And we also have car insurance because we know that it's going to, at some point, the probability is high, you're going to be in an accident. And not only that, you're going to damage other people's property. You might be physically harmed. They might be physically harmed. Uh, there's a potential for a lawsuit. So it would be foolish on our part to say, ah, well, well, when we get, you know, mass casualties and pileups, then we'll start thinking about liability. No, we need to think about that now. And so granting personhood is just one layer of protection for the human uh, and how that's going to flesh out. Man, I don't, I don't know. Uh, but there, there are wise uh, legal scholars who are thinking about these issues, guys like Jacob Turner, uh, Ryan Callow, and um, and others who are they're really concerned about how this new technology is not the the current legal system is just not going to be able to handle some of these circumstances and situations. So we've we've got to got to think about them from a new perspective. Uh, so I think many people are unfamiliar with that and. Uh, a lot of the conversation in the book is probably stuff you're unfamiliar with and that shouldn't make you feel less than or um, in less intelligent, but just um, I put together this work for you uh, from a Christian perspective, theological perspective. And, you know, what are the arguments out there? What robots are really out there? Um, you know, what's, what's the arguments being made? Uh, what's the legal theory that it challenges and and what are the risks involved? And then I just put that together in 260 pages uh, for people to read and, and do their own research. And and uh, hopefully people will read it and um, see that they have a lot to be concerned about as a citizen and that they can they can vote on these policies when the time comes and they need to vote. Um in a way that protects themselves. And I think most people, if we, if, if we had a bill on, on the docket today, it says, you know, would you vote for legal personhood for these robots? I think most people would say no, because they don't understand 
that that doesn't mean that they're now a human or that it somehow takes away from human rights and it doesn't, but they actually work together. And, um, and so I've just, I've had that conversation so many times now in the last couple of years. And, and usually when I get through with it, people are like, Oh, okay. Now I kind of understand where you're coming from. You know, you're not just some crazy lunatic <laughs> who wants to give rights to robots. Um, but that I actually want to protect humans and, um, and sometimes from humans. So, yeah. So going forward, that is the way you're looking at. You're protecting humans from potential harm. Is there anything else you want to add? Um, yeah, just to, um, to look further into the, the issues that are coming out to, to follow what's happening in the European Parliament. And I think that will serve as a great guide for us here in the U.S. and in other countries um, for how we can work together. Like, I think this is a, an international effort uh, to push for the regulation of this technology that, one, it, it is a unique situation. This AI and AI-driven robots is going to cause a lot of unique things. So it's something we need to be informed about. Um, so read my book, read other people's books about this. And, um, you know, you can follow my journey on Twitter. Um, my handle is jksmith8806. Uh, you can look at my website. Sometimes I blog, make videos about this stuff. Um, but then also, you know, telling other people about it, bringing them into the conversation. Because what you see in the media, especially in the news, is that there's one kind of one side to this conversation is that it's just a piece of technology and it's going to help and advance our society. Well, that could be true, but it could also do the opposite. If we don't get the policies right, it's going to, it's going to benefit one small percentage of society while the rest of us are, are going to be struggling with the implications. So it is an important issue for today. And um, if you have no idea where to start, um, I think my book is a great starting place. Uh, but I could also point you to other people on my website. And um, so feel free to check that out. And I'll try to add more free resources there. Also working on a second book that's kind of a follow-up to this one. Uh, getting more into the ethics of it. And um, for for more of a lay reader... <laughs> And, uh, so yeah, I'm excited about that, David. And I just really appreciate you inviting me on and, and your time and, 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 your and heart. Yeah, it's, uh, it's Joshua K Smith dot org. Okay. And thank you for sharing your journey. Let yeah. it continue in good form. And let's hope we get the answers that we so desperately want because we want, something to protect us. We don't want something to arm us. That's how I look at it. And maybe they will get the solution before it does mature to the stage where it will be beyond the out where no one can help it, where we get it young and not beyond the mature. Yeah. Thank you for being part of the journey, John. Thank you, David.
That was The Journey, hosted by Wise Words Imaging, hosted by David Hackett, produced by Melissa Hackett. Be sure to like, subscribe and listen to another journey coming soon.